Live from our man caves in Hawaii and Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem, Poopus, and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, boys. Welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 2, Episode 9. This is Blem. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Poopus, back for another episode. What's up, guys? Mike D here. Hope everyone is doing well. Mike D, what'd you have for dinner? Let's keep it going. I knew you were going to ask me. I was going to write it up in my intro, but I decided to leave it out. Uh, but, you know, we had a little bit of taco salad, you know, fresh beef, fresh ingredients. We got the cilantro. We got the avocado. We got the black beans. We got the black olives. We got onion. We got the, the, the green pepper, you know, the works. I'm talking fresh ingredient explosion in your mouth. Oh, wow. Olives are terrible. I absolutely hate olives. But, Mike D, you've been eating a lot healthier. Tell everybody how much weight you've lost, man. Oh, God. I'm right at 40 pounds. Man, way to go, Mike D. <laughs> Good shit. My, my guy. Good stuff. All right, guys. So, welcome back, Episode 9. In this episode, we will discuss our players and goals of the Week 10 from this very strange MLS season. We're also going to talk about Chris Armis' departure from New York Red Bulls. And we're going to talk about Blaze Matuidi and Emmanuel Reynoso's debuts for their respective clubs. And so, so much more. You guys know we love to talk. Like I said, we're going to talk about our players of the week. But let's get into the player that the fans voted for, player of the week of week 10 of this season. Sebastian Lejet, LA Galaxy, scored two goals in 10 minutes to help the LA Galaxy once again defeat LAFC. This time they beat him 3-0. He scored three goals against LAFC in the past two matchups. L.A. ain't black and gold anymore, boys. It's blue and yellow. So I say he scored two goals, but that's an understatement. Like, his second goal was obviously, you know, goal of the week worthy, goal of the year worthy. But I do want to talk a little bit about both of those goals. So he scored a goal in the 73rd minute and a goal in the 83rd minute. The goal in the 73rd minute came from a set piece on the left side of the goal. Pavone was on the ball. It was almost like a short corner type deal. Uh, there were three, so all the guys are inside the 18 set it up for this. Um, this is a play straight from the training ground. Three players start at the PK spot, all make a near stick run. Legette is at the back post on the six. A player sets a pick for him. He runs around to the PK spot, one touch finish near stick. They have probably worked on that every every single practice. Guillermo Barascoloto, if you uh, if you did that on your little whiteboard. If you divvy that play up, well done on you, but great goal. Um, so, you know, and that a pick play, you don't see that a lot in, you know, in soccer, in the MLS, but it was a very, very well thought out play. Ten minutes later, in the 83rd minute, we saw the bicycle kick, scissor kick, whatever you want to saw it. Uh, Felcher got the ball out wide right. Legit had two, the two center backs on him. He was making initially his run towards the near post, realized that they were over committing there withdrew his run, went back stick, Felcher played a, you know, a, a ball up into the air, and uh, the rest is history. Legit, air legit. Uh, there's a picture. I almost tweeted it out today, but scissor kick, bicycle kick, whatever you want to call it, he smashed it off the ground, back stick to beat the goalkeeper. Phenomenal goal. But, you know, that's just, that's just one game, and those are the two goals. But since the MLS's back tournament concluded, LA have won four consecutive games, beating LAFC twice, San Jose Earthquakes, and the defending MLS is back tournament champs, Portland Timbers. They have scored 11 goals in those four matchups. 
of their last 13 goals scored as a team, Pavone and Legette have been directly involved in 11 of them. Galaxy have also earned at least three goals. Well, they've scored at least three goals in their last three matches. They have worked themselves into a position where they're only three points below first place in the West, Sporting Kansas City, and have an opportunity to finish stage one of MLS return to play tied atop the Western Conference standings, depending on what Minnesota does when we're watching that game now. Boys, with all of that being said, are the Pavone and Legette-led Galaxy the real deal? And is this success sustainable as the Galaxy begin to face new competition in stage two of the MLS return to play? To me, I think it is. I mean, who needs Chicharito, to be honest? Like, I think they just wasted their money bringing that man in. Because when you got to think, when they first started the season in the MLS's back tournament, I think they focused on too much going around Chicharito. And now that they're trying to figure out, and I mean, obviously, even before Chicharito, they had Ibra. So that, that was their main focus even before the season started on trying to figure out on what to do without him. But to me, I think they're realizing they have a good core quality players on their system and they can deal, deal without just focusing on one player and basing around them. So I think they can actually – Kudos to the free kick god himself, Guillermo Viroscoloto, that I think he, he's doing the right thing with the team right now. Whatever he's doing, his tactic-wise, is, is great. So I think if he keeps going with this, and I think, honestly, I think the LA Galaxy can make a run for the MLS Cup at the end of the season. I agree. I think LA Galaxy are clicking right now. Coming out of the MLS's back tournament, they had a target on their back. Everybody was, including us, was talking ill on their name. And, and since then, they have completely turned around. We even talked about, you know, GBS out. And I think that Pavone and, and Sebastian Legette are hot right now. I think they're getting into really good form. And, I mean, you talk about six goals, four assists, and nine games for Pavone. Four goals, two assists, and nine matches in 2020 for Sebastian Legette. Compared that to four goals and five assists in 31 matches in 2019. I mean, Legette's playing some of the best football, you know, right now that he's ever played and they can only go up from here. So I think that they're going to carry this confidence into their upcoming games. I hope that they do because what we've seen previously with the LA galaxy has not been that. And, you know, you got guys like, you know, Dos Santos coming back and Chicha who's going to, you know, could make his return as, as early as next week. So I hope that Chicha comes back and does a little bit more than what we've seen. And Dos Santos makes his return to form. And this LA Galaxy team just really surprises a lot of people. Yeah, Pavone has worked his way into the MVP conversation. I know this is early. We still have a couple more phases of play to go through. But his numbers are astounding. And the LA Galaxy have been so impressed, especially as of late, that they are now ready to make a bid to purchase Pavone from Boca Juniors for upwards of $10 million. And I think that they would be smart to do that. I don't want to say that Pavone is better than Chicharito, but it's kind of a bargain deal. Uh, he, Pavone is, he's not a bargain deal. He's obviously an elite player and he was highly sought after as most Boca Juniors players are. Emmanuel Reynoso just came over. So I think that the LA Galaxy would do good to bring him in permanently. It would really suck to see him you know, really start to flourish. He started to flourish at the end of last year. And, you know, he's 
and then you bring a guy like Chicharito in, so he's not talked about as much. People just kind of forget about it. Hey, Chicharito, the next big flashy thing coming into LA, he's the next star. But this guy's your workhorse. He looks great. He looks great partnering up with Legit. Speaking of Legit, he's 28 years old. You know, we're so caught up right now in talking about the McKinney's, the Pulisic, who just got the number 10 jersey over Chelsea. But we have some proven vets over here in this league, and Legette kind of always slips out of the conversation. But when he's in this kind of form that we speak of, as opposed to how he was last year, obviously, you have to take him into consideration when selecting teams for the upcoming camps and friendlies for the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, it would be fantastic. And maybe once once Cheech comes back, maybe put a little pep in his step to actually do a little bit better than what he's done, seeing how the Galaxy have been achieving – goals that they weren't even supposed to in the beginning of the season the way they looked so I'm excited for what Chicharito has to offer when he does come back and see if this whole galaxy uh what do I want to call it project winning, pro, yeah galaxy winning street project whatever it is uh actually puts a little pep in Chicharito's step so <laughs> let's see what happens when he comes back all right I see you rhyming out here Poopus but yeah I agree they weren't really performing they weren't racking up the numbers that they have been but the legit and pavone partnership is real and i hope that it, it does continue and they've been playing lafc san jose who's a strange team to play against in portland who's been in a funk so it'll be interesting to see how they do in the second phase of games but you know legit was great scored two goals against their rivals you know they they won the the, the el trafico again outside of legit who stood out to you guys? Who were your guys' as players of the week? Because we had a lot of really good performances. Okay, well, let me start off. So we'll go off. I know I talk some crap about him sometimes because I don't think he really proves himself a lot with the Columbus crew. But let's go with Giassi Zardes, the newly approved dad of himself. Congrats to Giassi Zardes on having that baby and his wife. But coming off a Come off the bench, scoring two goals for the crew. And, I mean, like Blum told me before, because I wasn't up on my stats for Zardes, he had seven goals against Cincinnati. So, just alone. So, and, 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 and to add on that, seven goals, that is the most goals against a single opponent since uh, for anybody in the league since Cincinnati joined in 2019. So, he, is a, he, he dominates hell is real. And I apologize for forgetting that part. But, okay. let's get back. So, uh, yeah, Zardes, like, he killed it coming off the bench. I wasn't expecting any of that. I'll give, I'll give credit to that Francisco uh, – Fernando Adi, my bad, Fernando Adi. But – because, actually, I didn't think he – he didn't play too bad at all from what I was watching. So, but Zardes coming off the bench, scoring two goals, hell yeah. Let's, let's bring it. To also add on to that, Poop, it's the other stat that I told you right before the game. Other than Steven – other than Steven Lenhart in 2010 coming off the bench – and scoring a brace. There hasn't been a substitute for the Columbus crew to do so since Lenhart. Uh, so shout out to Giassi to come in and, and bag those two goals off the bench. Uh, and I, uh, I missed, missed back too. I apologize. <laughs> it's all right. I got your back. You know, we're here to conversate. I'll go next for my player of the week this week. And maybe even more than that, to be honest, Darlington mother effing Nagby. Zellerion has been in and out of the lineup, dealing with small injury, according to reports. Darlington Nagby comes in, fills in the 10-spot role. They put him in, say, okay, we need you to go out there, and we need you to be aggressive. 
We need you to make things happen. He goes in. He absolutely crushes it. He's all over the field. This guy is so fast, flying all over the park, looking fast as lightning. Completes all 41 of his passes successfully. Let me reiterate that. That's a 100% pass success rate in this game. Extremely hard to dispossess and always able to navigate out of tight spaces. Caleb Porter said in a, in a recent interview, we, we really felt as tight as they play, talking about Cincinnati, that he was the right choice to play in the 10 this game. That allowed us to keep Pedro wide, where he's so dangerous floating in between the lines. I thought he gave them a lot of problems. He's such a technical player, and he can work in tight spaces, and they really had no answer for him. I couldn't agree with the quote more. The guy was – I mean, you watch him. I'm, I'm, when I say he's flying all over the field, this guy is flying all over the field. And quite honestly, I'm not sure how he didn't make it into the, the player of the week, um, into, the, into the lineup of the week. This guy is second in the league with passes completed at 388. He's first in the league with completion, uh, completion percentage of 94.4%. And like I said, not only is he my player of the week, but he is arguably the best midfielder in the MLS at the moment. If not this year, don't at me. I got to act like, I feel like, I feel like this past game for Nagby was his best game. Yeah, he had that banger the other game, but hands down, like, literally, like you said, he was fast and he was all over that damn field. So, hands down, best game for him so far this season. And so, to, to add on to what Kubis just said, I, I completely agree. But I think, yes, it's, it was his best game, but we haven't seen him play in that role quite yet. It's a role that he used to play at when he played at national championship caliber, uh, Akron, Akron uh, University College. I don't know. When he played at Akron under Caleb Porter, uh, which he's under now, you know, imagine that. But he, he played at 10. And usually when we see him playing in the reserve 6-8 role, if you look at some of the maps that are on Twitter of his, his pass maps and his heat maps and what have you, you know, they're all – he doesn't make a lot of long passes. There are a lot of short passes laterally or back just to keep possession. Every once in a while you'll see him uh, turn, take a player on, get the ball off of his foot. But in that quote that Mike Delaney just read from Caleb Porter, I talked to Mike D before this episode, like that's the most impressive thing to me is – and we don't get to see it enough, so – it's just kind of you don't know until you see, and we haven't seen it in a while because in Atlanta he was a six eight, in Portland he was a six eight. Like he doesn't score a lot of goals. He did score that banger the other week, but seeing him in this ten role was really fun to watch. His ability to bait a guy in and then turn half turn out the other way with a slight little shoulder feint is unbelievable, and it is top level stuff, especially at least in the MLS and an American player pool in general. And then the thing that I noticed most in this last game against FC Cincinnati is that after he turns and he starts running at players, his pace when he's dribbling, he's kind of weighing his options, dribbling slow, dribbling slow, dribbling slow. And then as they close in on him, he explodes. And he's bio. He uses his body very, very well. And he's a smart player. Even under pressure, he keeps possession. He finds small pockets of space. He moves so smart. Yes, Mike Delaney, you, uh, we're going to clip that one and put it everywhere. But not only is he the best player, not only should he have been on the team of the week, he's probably the best midfielder uh, in the country, if, if you ask me. Yeah, it really goes to show, talking about his, his roles as a 6'8 and then transitioning to a 10, it really goes to show his versatility, his discipline. I mean, to be able to be 
as effective as he was at the 10 spot and be as effective as he has been for, you know, most of his career at the 6'8", holding down that defensive midfield position is, is incredible. So I really would love to see more of him in that attacking role and, you know, kind of like something we talked about a little bit before this podcast is if Zella, when Zella comes back, possibly moving him elsewhere and maybe putting Nagby into that, that 10 spot and, and figuring out the rest with the defensive spots. Yeah, we have two defensive midfielders that can, you know, cope without Nagby being back there with Artur and Alashe, who we just got from FC Cincinnati. But, you know, if Zellerion still is nursing an injury and we need Nagby to play the 10 for the, you know, short future or, you know, for a couple more games, whenever into phase two, like, I'm fine with that. And even when Zellerion does come back, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Alashe and Artur line up next to each other, 6-8, Nagby 10, and Zellerion out wide right or out left. I know we have quality all over the pitch, but if we do have to spare a Pedro Santos or a Mokhtar one game, like, let's just get creative with it. Let's put Nagby in, in the 10 and put Zellerion out, out wide right or out wide left and see, see, what, see what's shaking. You know, I think that would be really fun, and we might even see a better Darlington Nagby in that kind of role. Caleb Porter, get at us for the tactics. You know, you heard it here first, MLS gone wild. Yeah, and I've, I've been harsh on Pedro Santos. So I would like to say, I would like to say, Zella take his spot, but he's a DP. And, you know, I, I saw some stats over the, the past weekend. Pedro Santos is involved in every one of our scoring opportunities that we have, unfortunately. Like, he makes, he does turn the ball over more than most people, but he's, he is involved. But moving on, my player of the week, Eric Williamson of the Portland Timbers. So Eric scored his first ever goal for the club in the ninth minute off of a give-and-go pass that beat five Seattle defenders and also recorded the game-winning assist to Mora in the 83rd minute. Poopus, shout out to your boy uh, for, for giving Diego him, Valeri. Yeah, for Diego Valeri for, for giving that assist. Right. Very, very cheeky, outside of the foot, flicked it up, beat between three defenders two, just yeah, between, right between, split right there. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not calling Eric Williamson's goal the goal of the week or anything. I'm just saying it was a great play. He had a goal and an assist. I know two goals is always great, but when you score one and you give an assist, he also had a yellow card later in the game. He had a very complete game. Uh, I, I do I, – I gave you guys a little bit of a what it looked like for his goal, but his assist was even more impressive for me. So he received the ball with no pressure on him, like almost at the midfield line. He dribbled about 15 yards before the midfielders. Surprisingly, the Seattle midfielders weren't pressing him whatsoever. Um, and so Mora was running along the line between the two defenders. And he literally, so he was in between both of them. He took like a jab step, like a basketball player. Like he was going to check back in towards the ball. And then he slipped in behind. And the timing was so freaking perfect. And the weight on the ball was so perfect from Eric Williamson. Mora was in one-on-one -on -one with the goal, was slotted and past the goalkeeper. I don't know what kind of connection Williamson and Mora have. Mora scored three goals in three games, but to be able to time that pass and that run in the way that they did and for it to be the game winner uh, against Seattle, a team that, that's the Cascadia rival. And also Portland hadn't won a game since they won the MLS's back tournament. So good on Eric Williamson for scoring, uh, scoring his first ever club goal and then getting the game winning assist. I think that's huge for him. You know, Don Tanagby used to play for Portland. May I say that Eric Williamson, although he's a younger U.S. men's national team 
prospect or not younger. He's an older pro. He's like 23, I believe. Uh, played at the University of Maryland. Uh, he looks really good, and he kind of has a Darlington Nagby-esque style to his play. But on top of the goal and assist that that he he racked up in that game, he played all 90 minutes. He recorded a 93% passing accuracy. I don't have the the actual number. Excuse me for the number of passes he completed. He did his defensive role very well. He won six duels. He had three interceptions. In a quote from his head coach, coach said, very good performance like every other player that played today. He had two moments in which he created the first goal, one, two, a great pass from Diego Valeri and a great finish from Eric. That's what we want. Then, then he finds those spaces going forward. He did a great job to find them. Then an unbelievable pass to Mora on the second goal, but a lot of good play that he showed today offensively and a lot of discipline defensively, like those numbers I touched on that he provided definitely gave us a lot of balance and he had a very good match like every other player today. So coach is behind him. He's looking great. Unfortunately, right now, Sebastian Blanco just suffered a torn ACL. Eric Williamson has been starting. He's kind of grown into his role, but Sebastian Blanco has looked the best Sebastian Blanco has looked since he's been in the MLS, especially in the MLS's back tournament. I think he was the MVP most dominant player in that tournament. So, guys, I just said Eric Williamson's my player of the week, but the question I have to pose to you here is how much does the Sebastian Blanco torn ACL impact the Portland Timbers going forward, and is Eric Williamson a legitimate replacement for him? I mean, of course that hurts him because Blanco was killing it. But I really – like, I think Williamson can take, take his spot. The way he performed this past game, giving a goal and assist, like, if he, if he keeps that up, or at least has, like shows progress like that throughout the whole rest of the season. I think you'd be a good, good like replacement. But I mean, of course you're not gonna be be able to replace Blanco, like his caliber of player like that. But I mean, you always gotta be ready for when shit hits the fan. So, from a coach's aspect, I think, uh, I think, I think they'll be set. I think they'll be good with Williamson playing a role, a bigger role than what he's used to. And I think they'll, they'll move on from there without Blanco. But, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a huge impact of losing him. But I think they'll be, they'll, they'll be set. I agree. I think, of course, when you have the caliber of player like Sebastian Blanco go down, um, it, it's, a, it's a mental aspect to deal with for the team, for the coach, for everybody, really. And to have a refreshing player like Eric Williamson come in who's worked his way into the starting line to be a consistent starter now to scoring his first goal and getting the game-winning assist here against a Seattle team that was you know um, the MLS Cup champions last year that's huge so he's developing a real chemistry with Diego Chara proving not only that he can get into the attack but he can find good passes and contribute defensively as well so he's a very well-rounded player I think that He's going to step into this role, and he's absolutely going to take control and, and be exactly what they need in this time when Sebastian Blanco is out for the rest of the season. Yeah, we saw the six duels, one, the three interceptions, so obviously he can do the defensive piece. We hadn't really seen the offensive piece that we saw until this last game, and he was kind of given the freedom to play. And like I said, his, his first goal, you know, he picked up the ball off of a clearance, took it down cleanly beat one defender, although it was a very soft attempt by the Seattle defender. 
found Diego Valeri and just kept running. So he had the presence to understand that, hey, these guys are frozen at the top of the 18 and Valeri's going to flick it on to find me for an easy finish. And then for him to pick up the ball at midfield and not just be content with keeping the ball. He had the awareness of it's one-to-one and we want to win this game. It's a rivalry game we haven't won since the return to play. And I'm going to dribble 15 yards, be patient, scan the field, and wait until Mora makes that split-second eye contact and that move forward to me to bring the defenders and then go, and then I'm going to find him. Uh, I think that Sebastian Blanco wasn't the biggest defensive presence, but Williamson is able to bring both. So whatever they ask him to do, if they need him to play more of a defensive role one week, that's fine. But offensively, I'm not going to say he can fill the shoes of Sebastian Blanco because there's not a lot of players in the league that can, but he can at least fill the void until he comes back. And I don't expect Sebastian Blanco back this year. You know, it's usually a six to nine month recovery time with the way Sebastian has his head on his shoulders and his drive and his motivation based off of his Instagram post that I saw today. Good chance he'll be back in six to seven months. So I look forward to seeing Sebastian Blanco come back his return. I hope he comes back even better. But until then, I'm really looking forward to watching Eric Williamson ball out in that Portland Timbers midfield. So guys, we talked about our players of the week. Let's talk about goals of the week. There were a lot of good ones. What do we got, fellas? So, I mean, as we're on the topic of Portland, let's go for the 41st minute when it was Ladero crossing the ball, attempted clear by Portland, and Leardom hits it one time right outside the 18 to right past the only blacked out Steve Clark of himself. <laughs> how, so, how, many, how, many, how many beers did he have before letting that one go in, Poopus? I mean, shit, you never even know, so who knows? <laughs> but that's, that's my goal of the week. Leardom's one-time hit from right outside the box, right outside the 18. It was a beautiful goal. Beautiful technique. Oh. Especially, what? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. What stood out to you about the goal? It was great technique. That's what it was. That's so hard to do for a one-time hit like that. Especially being, like, attempted clear. And, I mean, it just landed perfectly right to him. So, and he just hit it perfectly with his technique, so – Kudos to that man. Kudos to Leardham. And the, and he's a defender. You know, you would expect that from a midfielder or a winger or an attacker, but from a you know a outside back. All right. Because I know like I know a lot of defenders. Any attempt, that ball is sailing over the over the net. So. Yeah, you would have kicked away over the net. I mean, I always did anyway. <laughs> I thought I only had one goal in high school, and that came on JV. So. <laughs> There was a lot of good goals. There was a lot of good goals this week. So it was kind of difficult to pick, but one that stood out for me and probably for a lot of people was one of the nominees for goals of the week was Jacoby Hayes uh, with Minnesota United. So walking you guys through this goal, Gray Juice to Molino. Molino goes 1-2 with Raheem Edwards. Molino breaks free into the box, gets into the box, steps on the ball. Keeper comes out. He's trying to be big, stand right in front of him, not too, too much. As Molino steps on the ball, he's patient. Raheem Edwards makes a, a, a run in behind Molino. Molino does a pullback pass right into Raheem Edwards, who then finds Ja'Cory Hayes crashing the box in on the sixth for a tapping goal. Absolutely fantastic. Third of the fourth goal of the night for Minnesota. And it wasn't so much about the goal for me than it was the – buildup of the play and the great team awareness to help create the goal. Not only that, but it's what it means along with the three other goals 
for Minnesota who, you know, scored four against RSL and how huge it is for them going forward. I mean, that was their first win in five matches. They're showing great form. This team has been really one of my favorite teams watching other than the Columbus crew right now. They've got a lot of depth. They've got, you know, Molino, Reynoso, Gasper, Lode, Metanier, Grigius. I mean, they got Hayes on the bench, Dotson, Raheem Edwards, not to mention their injured guys, you know, Amaria, you know, Ethan Finley, Ozzy Alonzo, Schoenfeld. This team is sneaky dangerous, you know, uh, very excited for, for what they're doing. I really hope they continue this form, especially as they get some of these guys that are injured back. But my goal of the week for sure, definitely that's for sure, goes to Ja'Cory Hayes with Minnesota United because of the beautiful buildup and what it means for this team. You keep calling it a beautiful buildup. I'm going to call it disrespect, man. What Kevin Molino did, what Kevin Molino did to the goalkeeper was, was flat out disrespectful, but man, it's fun to watch as, as a viewer. I mean, to have that kind of patience and to know what's going to happen next. Um, it was top-notch. And, yeah, Ja'Cory – shout out to Ja'Cory Hayes. I'm happy he's getting a lot more minutes. We had him on a podcast before. You know, I'm happy he's getting more minutes. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy he scored a goal. But like Mike D said, it wasn't about the goal, man. It was it was all about the the build-up and the disrespect right before the goal. It was it, it was phenomenal. Kevin Molino's on a tear. They just got Emmanuel Reynoso. We're going to get into a little bit later. But, yeah, like, like Mike D said, Minnesota United, well, they're one of the two teams to beat the Columbus Crew. They're they're a pretty dangerous team under Adrian Heath. So my goal of the week, I know Poopus is about to jump down my throat after I after I say it. So my goal of the week comes from a player who I've been highly critical of, especially a couple episodes ago. 19-year-old Brendan Aronson has been directly involved in as many goals and 10 appearances this season with three goals and one assist as he was in 28 appearances last season. Matt Doyle armchair analyst for MLS said he said it best saying the best way for him to grow is getting reps getting the playing time and we've seen that since he really started to gain traction at the beginning of this year he started to get better game in and game out and he's he's not lying reps help the more you play the better you play the more experience you get the more experienced you are I know it sounds simple but it's a real thing so after scoring this goal I'm about to talk about, Aronson's stock went up in the 36th minute when he opened the scoring and Philadelphia's win over New York Red Bulls. The play, so Mike Delaney talked about the buildup in the last goal with Minnesota United. I just want to call it disrespect. I'm going to call this some buildup. All right, so Goddess, the right back of Philadelphia Union, he receives the ball from one of the center backs. Andrew Wooten, a German-American player that really has flown under the radar, who came in for one of the injured Philadelphia players, uh, he checked in. And when he checked in, he, he, dra he drug one of the center backs into the midfield and legitimately out of the play. Uh, he one-touched the ball, passed the left back, into the feet of uh, Alejandro Bedoya, Alejandro Bedoya hadn't touched the ball yet, and so Wooten drug the one center back out of the play, which left legitimately one center back left def defending Chevelko and Aronson. Chevelko made one of the most aware runs I've ever seen. He made a diagonal kind of near stick run. He wasn't near the goal, but he started running towards the near stick of the 18. He started running there. The center back followed him. Alejandro Bedoya still hasn't touched the ball. One times it back across. 
to Brendan Aronson, who made a very disciplined, slow run in behind because he knew Shabelko was taking him away, and the closest defender was probably 10, 15 yards behind him. So at that point, all he knows he's just got to take a decent prep touch, and once he takes that decent prep touch, he's got a chance at goal. And what do you know? He has a really good prep touch and bangs it, back stick, off the post, and the net from 23 yards out. So the buildup to that play was phenomenal, and the goal was phenomenal as well. Just the way that they took defenders out of positions and then replaced the defenders with their attacking players was absolutely phenomenal. The ball movement on that was great. Aronson had a quote this past week saying him and Bedoya work on that all the time. Um, that ball from the right from Bedoya into the middle to Aronson in what they call the green zone. And it was – to me, that was the goal of the week. The hit was phenomenal, 23 yards out. He's been rumored to go over to the Bundesliga. I didn't know. I, I said in prior pod, podcasts, I didn't know if he was ready. But the more I watch him play and the more he continues to play, the more ready he looks. And the better Philadelphia looks, to be honest with you. Get him, Poopus. All right, so – so are you positive you think he's ready for the for the Bundesliga or, uh, you know, a trip over to Europe to play for another team? He is ready for a trip over to Europe to play for a different team. Okay. So, you know, you know, beautiful day, August 10th. We record a pod. It's called MLS is really, really back. Or is MLS really, really back? And then in quotes from your boy, Blem, this kid ain't ready for the move to the Bundesliga or to Europe. So how can you go from talking complete trash about a player? And speaking of which, he only has one goal from coming back to the, from the tournament or that must his back tournament. That's all he I, has. Yes, he does only have one goal, but just watching the way that he plays, he does things that he still needs to get better at. One of my biggest criticisms about Aronson was, him going too much to the ball rather – or him going to the game rather than letting the game come to him. And that play I just referred to, he let the game come to him. He let the pieces move around him so that he was open. He didn't try to get open. He let his teammates around him get him open. He trusted his teammates to to, to find – so Batoya could find him. And, you know, that was my biggest criticism of him. One, one thing that I really do like about him is something I saw when they played against the Columbus Crew. The Columbus Crew beat Philadelphia Union 1-0. And one thing I liked about Brendan Aronson in that game was how he pressed and how he was basically matched up on Darlington. Darlington had one of those games, like we talked about earlier, where he was passing the ball laterally, passing the ball back. And Brendan Aronson was in his back pocket. I'm not going to say he shut him down, but – Brendan Aronson is a workhorse as well, and he does have potential offensively. He showed that in that game, in this last game. And I know teams are looking at him. And the more he does that, the more eyes that are going to be on him and the bigger clubs are going to come ask him. So, from what you're saying, you're calling him an elite striker to the game of an MLS. No, 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 no. He's a number 10. He's well, a number I mean, if you, already feel like you're, if, you, if you already feel that he's able to make the trip over to Europe already, then he has to be an elite striker. Oh, he's not a striker. He's a number 10. He's an attacking well, midfielder. All right. Well, attacking person. So, yeah, but I mean, it, you, when you go back to the crew game, look how many chances he had inside the box to finish the ball. Well, was he able to? No, not a single time. That man could have had at least two goals in the first half of that game. And if you're, if you're, according to, you know, everybody else, 
a good good uh, spot for a trip over to Europe to the Bundesliga or something, then you should be able to finish those balls inside the box when you have when you're able to. Because a lot of those balls came right to his feet, and he should have put them right in the back of the net. Uh, I'm trying to think back at that game. I remember the chances that he was getting in that game, and they were inside the 18. They were pretty close range. But it wasn't like he was one-on-one with the keeper. The Columbus crew, it was like there were a couple spurts in the game where the Columbus crew were, had like freaking nine guys behind the ball inside the 18 because they were just shooting after, after shot after shot after shot. So, yeah, he, he had shots, but I wouldn't – you know, I'm not trying to say he's an elite attacker. I'm saying that he's an up-and-coming attacker in the MLS that definitely has promise. And, you know, it's better to get our young players over to Europe now than wait until they do have promise. You know, get them over there and develop them there. That's kind of what we've done with Gio Reyna, Pulisic. And if we – you know, we see that potential in Arison. He's all everybody's talking about. And, you know, I tried to have a hot take one week saying that I didn't know if he was ready. Because there is legitimate concern still, because I saw a stat today, I believe Matt Doyle, the armchair analyst, I refer to him a lot, but he did say something along the lines of, you know, he's in the lower percentile of touches for a number 10 in the MLS. He's still not getting the touches and the usage that he should be as a top level attacking midfielder in the MLS. So he still does have to work on letting the game come to him. And that also comes with Philadelphia trusting him more and more. I mean, he's still a 19 year old kid. They trust him enough to start, but they need to trust him enough to play through him. Um, so I, I do think a move for him is warranted. He still does have things, obviously, that he needs to get better at. Again, he's only 19 years old. And I think that, excuse me, within the next year, year and a half, maybe sooner, both we could see both him and Mark McKenzie, the defender for Philadelphia Union, going overseas. We seem to love sending players to the Bundesliga. Uh, you know, today we did just see and hear the confirmation of Reggie Cannon going to a Portuguese club, Boa Vista. You know, that's just another young player that, that has potential, has really good potential, and has played for the U.S. men's national team. Paxton hasn't yet, not Paxton, that's Brendan's younger brother, who's also a baller for Philly, too, in the USL. Uh, he had a, a great shot the other night as well that went just wide, but, you know, Brendan has that potential, and I think it's going to take Brendan getting seen on in a U.S. men's national team camp to go overseas. But seeing him take that chance the way he did and letting Shabilko run across and not not making the run into the box and just waiting for that ball to come to him to see that patience and letting his striker, letting his striker take the defender out of the way. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say it's elite level stuff, but it's very – it's smart soccer, and it shows growth by him. And the more I get exposed to him, the more I enjoy watching him play and the more I'm rooting for the kids. So I'll root for any young American that's gonna, that has potential to go overseas. So. I'll, give, I'll give him one more year, and then he'll probably go overseas. I think people just need to see him a little bit more. So, yeah, I, and, uh, and I, I, I agree. I know there's, there's got to be teams that are already looking at him. Uh, he'll be a bargain for any team if any team needs, you know, a young player. Uh, you know, or if they need a an attacking midfielder and they want to give somebody a shot, like the Bundesliga has been proven to give American shots all the time, a shot all the time. So we'll see. I hope the best for him. And like I said, Mark McKenzie, both those Philly boys might be gone and Philly might be working on bringing Paxton uh, Aronson in to fill Brendan's spot. And we might be talking about Paxton Aronson next year, his younger brother. So, so we'll see. But 
that was my goal of the week. Absolute laser from 23 yards out, back stick off the post to beat the goalkeeper. He then uh, shushed the crowd, the crowd that wasn't there. Uh, but maybe he was, maybe he was just silencing the doubters that are people like me. All right, guys. So please take a moment to listen to a word from our sponsors, At a Time Outfitters. Stick around for what's to come after this short break. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands that let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible, elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at at a time outfitters all right guys welcome back to season two episode nine of mls gone wild you guys just heard our advertisement for at a time outfitters use promo code gone wild all one word g-o-n-e-w-i-l-d at checkout to get 10 percent off your entire order of unique soccer inspired accessories and apparel so, guys, we're going to get into coaching now and coaches that have been fired within the first 10 games of the MLS season, of the 2020 strange MLS season. So, Ron Jans, I forgot this man even existed, former FCC coach. Frank DeBoer, former Atlanta United head coach. And now, most recently, Chris Armas, former coach of New York Red Bulls, have all lost their jobs less than 10 games into the MLS regular season. Armas and the Red Bulls started the season with a 3-5-2 record. And Armas finished his Red Bull career with a total record of 29 wins, 21 losses, and 11 ties. Armas had coached in the league for a little over two years and won the Supporters' Shield in 2018 after taking over midseason for Jesse Marsh. Although Armas coached in less than half the amount of games Marsh did, they had similar winning percentages. Armas' winning percentage was 48.44%, but he only coached in 64 matches. Jesse Marsh, winning percentage, 49.67% in 151 matches. So, guys, considering the above stat, the winning percentages I just listed, and that the Red Bulls still occupy a playoff spot, was this move warranted? And did they move on from Chris Armas too soon? So, I think they did, honestly. Because, I mean, you said he coached, like, half the games than Jesse Marsh did. So, at least give him a – and, I mean, it wasn't like he – yeah, I mean, the Rebels might be doing really, like, really bad right now. But it's not like he's been, like, a terrible uh, head coach for the team since he's been there. I mean, you said he won the Supporters' Shield in 2018. So, obviously, he's been, like, proving stuff in the organization. And then when you think about it, like, it might not even be about him, his coaching role, and how he's been doing now. It could be on inside, organization-wise. So, I mean, you could not – you could be not having, like – great cohesion with the organization himself and it could be inside but I mean you know people like never like to you know announce that stuff 
from an inside position. So, I mean, we'll never know what the real reason was. So we'll see what happens from here. Yeah, I think that my initial thought after seeing the news about Chris Armas being sacked as the manager, I went back and immediately thought about Frank DeBoer and the reason they let him go. And yeah, I get it. Atlanta United, you know, being one of the most dominant teams that we've seen as of, you know, late, you know, prior to this year, um, they have a standard to uphold. And there's a lot of, a lot of money in that, in that team and a lot of expectation. But for Chris Armas to get released of his duties when they're still in playoff contention and it's as we haven't even finished phase one of the regular season. I think that it's too early. I think that you got to give the guy some time to figure some things out. It almost feels like they took the Atlanta United approach without having the Atlanta United pedigree. And, and that may be a bold statement, but it's just what it feels like. I mean, so it is interesting to see that they, that Chris Armas and, and um, fuck, what's his name? Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh have very similar winning percentages. Obviously the amount of games goes into play, but who's to say if, if Chris Armas was coaching the same amount of time as Jesse Marsh, what could have been? I mean, we're never going to know now, but it is interesting to see that that percentage was so close. It is interesting to see that they were still in playoff contention but on the other side of that, I mean, these, these guys, they haven't, they haven't, they scored two goals in five games in the regular season so far. So they're having some troubles, but I, I think that you have to give them more time. Yeah, they lost to FC Cincinnati in MLS's back tournament to get knocked out in the group stage. Sure, fine. But I mean, we saw LA Galaxy get knocked out and play absolutely terribly. And look at them now. So I, I think you got to give him more time than I did. I absolutely thought it was a little bit too early. Yeah, not only were they still in playoff contention, I know there's still a lot of time left for them to fall out of playoff contention or, you know, rise up on the table. But they've also made the playoffs the past two years. And like I said earlier, they won the 2018 Supporter Shield. And, you know, granted, he did take over midseason for Jesse Marsh at that point. But, you know, that is a trophy under his belt. And, you know, he does have a similar winning percentage. But – I do just want to note a couple, a quote from one of the players on the New York Red Bulls. There's a culture at this club of winning and being a premier team in this league. And when we look at the performance that we put on at home, that's just not good enough. Two straight home losses is something that this club isn't used to, the fans aren't used to, and we're not used to. And that's something that we've kind of got to look at ourselves in the mirror, judge ourselves, and be very tough on ourselves. So, Mike D, in response to you, I know that you said they're not up to the, the pedigree of Atlanta United. Atlanta United has a very short history, and they've been great since they came into the league. So it was a surprise this year. But when you look back at the New York Red Bulls, they've been one of the more consistent teams in the MLS, especially since we started watching, and especially since Jesse Marsh took over. You know, they have they've been one of the most consistent teams. And for a fan base – that are fans of the first pro team, you know, New York City FC came after New York Red Bulls and, and New York Metro Stars essentially turned into New York Red Bulls. So that's their fan base and their fan base is huge. And that's not something they're going to tolerate. Like that's almost the LA of the, of the East. 
So I'm sure that there was some pressure there, especially, you know, I don't want to say that they didn't get all, they, they got off to a bad start this year. There's still a lot of time to improve upon. They've got a lot of young players in, in their roster. They don't have the rosters that they used to have in the past with some of the DPs that they used to sign. Um, so for me, I, I, I do think it was too early. I do understand that there's outside pressure New York is a tough place to coach in any sport, whether it's football, basketball, or even in this case, soccer. I guess the fans have some pull there as well. You know, they want to see their teams win. And if they're not winning, organizations have to make a little bit of change. But I would have liked to have seen the Red Bulls give a U.S. men's national team legend and Chris Armas a little more time. But, guys, this is not the last we see of Chris Armas. I think he won't be back at New York Red Bulls, but we're going to see him pop up around the league. All right, so two big-name players made their respective debuts over the weekend. Blaise Matuidi, 2018 World Cup winner and former Juventus player, made his debut for Inter Miami. And Emmanuel Reynoso, the highly sought-after former Boca Juniors number 10, made his debut for Minnesota United. So let me give you some numbers and a a look at what Blaise Matuidi did in his debut for Inter Miami against the other expansion team, Nashville FC. Game finished nil-nil. Blaise played 79 minutes created two chances, won zero duels, and he lost nine. So he's got to get used to that MLS aggression. It's a different game, different speed of game. He'll get used to it. Uh, He had 52 completed passes, passing accuracy 90.38. And when I looked at his heat map, he shaded a lot of the left side of the field, left side of the midfield. Uh, He started next to Victor Uoa. Will Trapp didn't start that game. I'll be interested to see what happens with that. So something I saw on Twitter I thought was an interesting point. I'll just put it out there that Blaise Matuidi, granted he's an elite player. He plays a World Cup champion. He could be as important to enter Miami as the Twesta is to LAFC and Chara is to Portland. That's just a take I saw out there. You guys can talk about it if you want. Uh, he, but he does provide a balance. So let me get into Emmanuel Reynoso really quick. He made his Minnesota debut on Sunday in a 4-0 win against Real Salt Lake. He recorded his First assist to Robin Lod, in which he did a half turn at midfield, made it look simple, and found a wide open Robin Lod on the left-hand side. Robin Lod literally dribbled in and passed it near stick on the goalkeeper. And Emmanuel Reynoso has looked really good. He's playing against a guy like Kev- – he's playing alongside a guy like Kevin Molino and other really good players like Robin Lod, who's kind of emerged since Ethan Finley's went down. So, guys, considering these two players' roles and their current teams, who will make the bigger impact for their squad? It's a good question. It's an interesting question because you have two different dynamics here. You have an inner Miami team who is trash right now at one, two, and six, I think. And then you have a Minnesota team who is kind of catching form with a lot of good players and a lot of depth. So the, it's interesting to think about. I think that your tweet that you saw on Twitter about how he could be important to the team like Chara or Atuesta, I think that that is – it's accurate because right now Inter is missing that. They have Pizarro who's kind of running rampant all over the midfield. They don't have a strong striker up front, and they need someone like a Darlington Nagby who sits back or Achara that sits back, or, you know, any other midfielder that that controls that midfield and is that glue to the team from the back to the front. So I think he's going to be huge there. My opinion is that 
being a World Cup winner, coming in, I would like, and I think that Matsui is going to be the better of the two because Minnesota has a lot of weapons to work with and a lot of ball to share with different players on the team. Matsuidi is coming in with not the same and has to do a lot more. So I'm thinking that once they get a striker, prominent striker, he's going to be an important piece to that puzzle. I agree because I was watching uh, – I saw, I didn't watch the Inter-Miami game, but I saw highlights. And Matuidi, like, his, some of his passes were actually pretty decent. Like, he found the open guy in, in tight spaces during the game. So – and I didn't – I really pay attention to the Minnesota game before, but so I couldn't really talk about uh, Reynoso. But I think Matuidi will, will make a difference for Inter-Miami. And then, like Mike D said, if they bring – if they get somebody to help the front – in a four position, I think they'll be they'll be well set off for that for that spot. Yeah, one thing I saw about Matuidi this week is himself having to work his way back into fitness. Like you saw, he only played seventy six minutes. Reynoso went the full ninety the other day uh, from from Boca Juniors, but I think Matuidi does bring that elite level six eight role into into your squad. He does bring that that balance. I did say that he won zero duels and he lost nine of them. So he does have some adjusting and that's going to come with the fitness that comes with playing in, in the MLS. So for me, I think that Matuidi has a bigger impact for his team uh, just based on his pedigree and the balance that he provides them offensively and defensively. But from a numbers look at it from a stat stat wise position, I think that Reynoso will, obviously produce bigger numbers for Minnesota. Minnesota has a well-oiled machine um, for an attack. They can put up three, four goals on a nightly basis, really, uh, with, with their midfield and their attacking players. So I think Reynoso will fit in very well. He's already looked to, and is, they're actually they're playing right now still, I believe, and he's looked like he can really play with Kevin Molino. So I think Reynoso will really fit in in that team and uh, – I, I think that he'll up, put up big numbers in Minnesota. But we were just talking about Inter-Miami still needing to find some sort of attacking prowess, some sort of striker. You know, they have Aguadelo, they have Pizarro, but, like, they they need a guy. Aguadelo is not the guy up there. They, they need a striker. We've seen rumors of Iguain, and recently we saw a quote this week come out about Falcao. Mike D., do you have that tweet or that quote? I sure do. I sure do, if I can find it. So in a recent interview, Falcao came out and just said it. He said, quote, I have two more years left on my contract with Galatasaray, and I want to play with Inter-Miami because there are a lot of Colombians there, and it reminds me of my country. Simple, straight, and to the point. Bring Falcao over, man. I mean, right by to the time, it. By, he said, what, two years left on his contract? Yeah, he signed, he signed it, a three-year deal in 2019. By the time he would get over here, he'd be 36. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, like, he might be here in three years, but still they need to bring somebody in. I haven't heard any more about this Iguain deal, but if Inter-Miami wants to score goals, they got to bring somebody. And it ain't going to be Suarez because Suarez is a Juve now. That rumor squashed. So you got to – yeah. so Suarez essentially replaced Iguain. Iguain, if they don't get him, I don't know who they're going to get. But they, they've got to work on getting somebody that is going 
to provide an attacking presence for that team outside of Pizarro. All right, guys, so we're nearing the end of stage one of the MLS's return to play in local markets. And, you know, I think I anticipate by the time we get this podcast out, you know, towards the back half of this week, I anticipate the MLS releasing what the stage two is going to look like schedule-wise. So some of the big questions that I have, and you guys can jump in after after I ask after I present these questions that I have is, you know, what do the schedules look like in regards to who will play who? Also, you know, we've seen Columbus Crew, we've seen other teams have fans in the stadiums. With Stage 2 coming, how many more teams are going to bring fans into the stadiums? How many people are they going to allow in the stadiums? I think that's going to be something that continues to progress, that more and more teams are going to be able to bring uh, the fans back into the stadiums. And the biggest question for me is what in the hell are we going to do with the three Canadian clubs that can't fly into America to play and American clubs can't fly to Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal to play them? Those are my three biggest questions that I'm sure the MLS already has answers to, but that's where my head's at for stage two. I mean, I guess you give them their own little Canadian MLS cup version. And see who plays for that shit? Because, I mean, if they can't play in America, then, I mean, you can't, they can't play in the MLS Cup. So, can we I send like, it? Give them their own tournament. Can, I mean, we send it, can we send them to the Canadian Premier League? I, uh, I mean, you might, you might as well. You know, <laughs> they're, they're doing no contribution to the MLS at, at all. So oh, jeez. That's harsh so, on Toronto there, Poopas. <laughs> well, I mean, Toronto, yeah, I think they won today, but still, they, they still suck, so it doesn't even matter. <laughs> but so other than that, with everything else, I, I think uh, for fans in the attendance, I think you have to have, like, I, mean, I don't know how they're going to do it, but there, I guess there, need, there needs to be a system where you, uh, you, if you, you have to find out if there's, like, positive cases while being inside the stadium or something like that. Because, I don't know, with the, with the COVID cases right now, it's just in a total. So, who's, gonna, who's ever going to figure out if there's any positive cases while being inside a stadium? And I think that's a lot, what a lot of people are going to think. So, I don't know how they're going to do that part. But, I mean, I like, I like having people inside the stadium. It, like, it brings more of a soccer atmosphere again. But, like I saw on the, about the Columbus crew, there was, I guess there was people there without masks wearing masks and stuff like that. So, I mean, if you're going to bring people in, what's, what's the security doing? Like, are they not enforcing anything? Are they just standing there, you know, thumbs waving like this, cheering for the team or just watching them? I was going to say something else, but I'm not going to say it on you. Oh, I know, I know you are. <laughs> but and that's, a really, that's a really good point. I think it's been nice to have players in the stadiums, but you got to tighten up. If there's players or if there's – fans that are in the stadiums and they're not abiding by the rules. We can't have that. I mean, it's been a privilege for fans to even come back, you know, let alone us even be able to play professional sports in general. So I think we need to respect the system. I think that we need to respect the process and really take a look inside of ourselves as a whole to be better about what we're doing if we are going to go to these games. And I think that I think you just continue to build off of what we've done so far, what the MLS has done. Obviously you, you monitor it in a market and a city by city basis. And, you know, if it doesn't allow for it, it doesn't allow for it. And I just think that's the way that it goes. But I think that you just continue to monitor that and, and 
if it if it's if it's cool to have people in the stadiums, great. If not, then then you don't, and you just have to deal with it. I mean, this is just the state of the world right now. So, as far as the Canadian teams, what I say is that we just hook up some FIFA, we put these teams on against each other, and we just sim the games, <laughs> and we just count it towards the MLS regular season. <laughs> It's an interesting idea, Mike D. <laughs> I, I couldn't say I thought of that one. It just popped into my head. I can't remember your I can't remember your last question, but so so the most important thing, something we've talked about, is you know the Columbus Crew has played FC Cincinnati three times already this year, two times since the return to play, and the other teams we played are Chicago, New York City FC, and Philly. You know, we have this small number of teams that we're playing against. It's, you know, this group of five that we have. There's, you know, there's 12 teams or 13 teams in, in both conferences. Like, I think they have to switch up who these teams are playing against. Obviously, I think that they will. Like, the Columbus group playing against FC Cincinnati two times out of the five games at their back. I mean, yeah, they're, they're going to get points. Like, we, there's other teams within the Eastern Conference, and, and the same goes with teams in the Western Conference. Like, they – they need to switch it up, but and when they switch it up, we could see things go differently. So the crew might start playing better teams or different teams that they haven't faced yet. And you know, just speaking from a crew fan's perspective, things could go differently because we've played these teams over and over. You know, so I'll be interested to see what they do schedule-wise. And you know, it's not like all these teams are super close to Columbus outside of Cincinnati. You know, they can it's it's a one it's a one day flight day of game they fly to the to the game to the location of the stadium they play the match they fly home so it doesn't really matter where it's at I don't think they're getting ready to cross I don't think they're going to play um, you know Eastern Conference versus Western Conference yet I think they're going to keep those two things separate still but I think it's going to be important to switch things up and really we'll get a better aspect of what teams look like once they start playing better and worse competition than they have since the 10 games that we've seen this season. Yeah. The crew have been great, but they've been playing the cupcakes. They played Philly. They played New York. They lost to New York. They, they beat Philly great. Philly's not but a cupcake. <laughs> no, I know Philly's not a cupcake. I'm saying FC Cincinnati, they've played, you know, the good teams they've played have been, you know, New York City and, and Philly, and that's been it. And they've, you know, they won against Philly and didn't really play great against New York City and against Cincinnati really in, in one game. Um, but yes, we need to see some better competition for the crew and for everybody else really too. Yeah. We just need to see, we just need to see something different where I, I feel like I'm watching hell is real and El Trafico every other night. It almost feels like so. And it's great. Like I love the rivalry games and to be honest with you, it's been really good to see MLS originals taking back these rivalry games, not saying that FC Cincinnati ever had it, but LAFC were, you know, running with it. On uh, on LA Galaxy, so it's nice to see a couple original teams taking back the the their the respective rivalry games. But you know, like I said, I feel like I'm watching those games every other night, and I just I need something different. All right, guys. So I think that we've covered everything that we needed to cover. Also, one more thing: Lee Wynn back to uh, to New England Revolution from Inter Miami. So good for him. I think Inter Miami is freeing up a little bit of space for a DP coming in, but I look forward to seeing Lee Wynn getting more playing time in New England. Not sure why he wasn't getting much playing time in Inter. Guys, that's all I have for tonight. Mike D, Poopus, what do you got to close this out, fellas? That's it, baby. Great episode. 
glad to be back. You know, a little bit of study session and starting school and stuff. Last week, so I missed the show. But kudos to these, these beautiful babes right here. Great show you guys did. But I just want to thank everybody for uh, supporting us so far. And I hope you guys take care, stay safe, and tune in next week for another episode of MLS Gone Wild. Closing thoughts. Shout out to our boy Dale DK, Player of the Month. Shout out to Carlos Bocanegra, making it into the Hall of Fame. They and need to fit. They need to fix the ballots and how they get players into the Hall of Fame. Don't get. We'll talk about it next week or something. Don't get me started. Signing off, everybody for listening. Thank you so much. We love you. Follow us at MLS Gone Wild. Rate, review, subscribe. We'll catch you guys next week. Hi, Mike Delaney stole my line. So, guys, this is Glenn. Thank you guys for listening to MLS Gone Wild Season 2, Episode 9. We appreciate you guys listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Enjoy your soccer. Stay safe. Stay home. Stay healthy. Peace.